I have one weakness, and that weakness is my passion for my work, my passion as a biologist. By the time I deliver biology to you, you would like to even come and start practicing biology. That's Dr. Mary Selin Baba, a virologist at University of Medugri in northeastern Nigeria. Hi, and welcome to Conversations with Scientists. I'm Vivian Marks. For a feature in Nature Methods, I've been speaking with scientists across the global South about their work on COVID-19. The link to the story is in the show notes, also in the transcript. Yes, COVID-19 is an infection we are all tired of. Too many have died. Too many have long COVID. What I found as I spoke with scientists in labs across the global South is a resolute, creative attitude about COVID-19. So this is episode one in a series of not sad stories about COVID-19. It's a bit of armchair travel. Today, it's an audio journey to Nigeria. I asked Mary Selin Baba to pronounce her name so I know how to at least try and pronounce it correctly. My name is, my name is, says, it's like Selin Dion, the popular musician. So my name, you just add Mary to Mary Selin. No, so add Mary to Selin, then it becomes Mary Selin. And Baba, even your dad, how do you call your dad? Baba. Oh, some of us say Baba. And it's the same father. So my yes. name is very simple and it's English. So now, of course, because of what you said, I need to mm. ask you if you sing. Do you sing? I mean, Celine Dion is, of course, quite good. But do mm-hmm. you also sing? No, I don't sing. I, my, <laughs> I don't sing. I'm a scientist. <laughs> Nigeria is a country with many languages. Many, many languages. Oh my God, there are two, I don't know how many. I think it's over 700 because every tribe has its own. But the commonest is simple. The commonest, the majority tribe, three, Igbo, Hausa, and Yoruba. That's the commonest, three major ones. So does do people speak all three or do they have to figure out, okay, I, I speak Hausa? We don't understand ourselves among the three. We The common language, for everybody in Nigeria is English. And then you have the English different versions. You have the pidgin. You have some others that is English, but the pidgin sometimes, even me, I don't understand. But you have oh. the original official language is English. The official language is English. So in, mm. in, in your lab, what do you people, you know, when they're pipetting and, and staring at their uh, Excel sheets, what, what do they talk to one another in? Or is it just English? In, in, it's English. It's English. English is the language of instruction from primary school to tertiary institutions. If you don't have at least credit in English language, you cannot enter university. Dr. Baba spends time on research and she teaches. Our first part of call is to teach, train, build capacity, interact with physicians, interact with scientists all over the world. And I work on the bench. COVID has hit everyone hard and Nigeria is no exception, of course. But as someone in a lab that is World Health Organization supported and accredited, she felt she and her team were ready. I mean, nobody is ready for a pandemic, but she felt they were as ready as one could be. You know, COVID pandemic or COVID era 
to so many people is a cross because they lost people, unfortunately. But to so many people, COVID is a blessing. So as a scientist, I will tell you here that COVID was both a mixture of a combination of blessing and a cross. Now I come back to the scientific aspects. Uh, my lab in particular, because we are WHO accredited lab. So primarily, the, primarily designated for polio, for diagnosis of polio. So when COVID came in, so we had to, because it was the most then, most befitting lab to fit in without much effort, without much fun. So we, 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 we swung into action. Many labs faced supply shortages during COVID. Mary Selin Baba and her team had an advantage as a WHO accredited and WHO supported lab. Because we are WHO sponsored. So we had basically everything. We had everything. We had the enzyme, we had the prepared, we had the prepared tips as WHO accredited lab because COVID is virus, it's virology. Polio is virology. So the basic things that were needed to perform the initial task, we had it. But in the hospital that belongs to Nigerian government, those things were not there. She and her team had previously worked with viruses and had the supplies and know-how. We could do RNA extraction because we normally do RNA extraction for polio. So we could also do RNA extraction for COVID. We could do a master mix for polio. So we can also do it for COVID. That's what I'm telling you that the WHO setting provided the template that was more cost effective and was less time consuming to kick off with COVID work. And because Mary Celine Baba is talking about polio a bit, I just wanted to say that wild-type polio is gone in Nigeria, but there are polio variants. They exist because vaccination is not 100%. There is what is called an immunity gap. If any of this sounds familiar to COVID, yes, it is similar. No, the, the problem is that in Nigeria, there is no more wild polio. Nigeria is a certified wild polio free country. But the only problem, the only problem we are having right now is the variants, the mutated kind of polio, just like you have variants for COVID. You have variants. And that those variants are now caused, variants are not wild. They are not wild. It's a mutated form of the vaccine strain because of the immunity gap. Her base of operations, the standards, the routine of being able to work with viruses, that's all been protective in her lab. Nobody in my lab know uh, where I'm coming. You know, like I told you, that template, that, that base, the base that I say we are WHO accredited lab is very, very important because we are already prone to that kind of work. So we put all we need to do, needed to do was to put in all the biosafety, biosecurity measures that we have been trained by WHO on polio into place. 
and then adapting because polio is about safety level to work. Well, COVID-19 is level requires level minimum of level three, minimum of level three. So because of that, so we just had to step a little up by using the, the relevant PPE befitting COVID work into a level two work, a, a level two facility. So Got with it. that, we did not have a single casualty. Nobody in my lab uh, contracted COVID, none. From the time of sample collection, there are precautions you must take. And every day we had a team that did disinfection, disinfection using appropriate, you see, knowledge is powerful. Knowledge is powerful because we are already a virus lab. There were some other labs that were, they just set up COVID uh, uh, testing lab and the lab closed down after a few because the people, good, they were not, they were not, how do I put it? The priming was not there. It was not just do this, don't do this. No, it's something that has to be inside. And because like I'm a virologist, so I know what COVID is. I know COVID, I know its weakness. I know its strength. I know what needs to be done. So I had to coordinate the, the testing, training the people on regular basis. And we were having technical meeting every week to make sure that the needful was done. If there was any problem, we discussed and then look for. In case of spillage, we had to talk about how do we handle spillage. So that about safety, about security measures, like I told you, we were already imbibed because of polio background. So it made it so easy for us. As lab people, we have to adapt the necessary biosafety and biosecurity measures. And remember now, polio is also adequately contained so that under no circumstance should it escape from either the staff or anything outside to the community. So that, that discipline is there because for over 19, 20 years, we've been trained. WHO has trained us on biosafety measures. Much of the work related to COVID-19 involves sequencing. Sequencing the RNA of the virus to tease out what particular variant it is, finding out how it has changed and evolved, which variant stays and which new ones emerge. Mary Celine Baba does not have access to large-scale sequencing facilities, so she collaborates with others. Collaboration has been particularly important for addressing COVID-19. Collaboration among scientists, that is. Collaborations between governments is a different matter, and it works in some cases, and in others, as we have seen, it does not. So collaboration between scientists, for example, in this case, Mary Celine Baba worked with Christian Happy at Redeemers University in Ede, Nigeria. His lab was the one that sequenced the first SARS-CoV-2 virus from Africa in 2020. Yeah, he was the one, Professor Happy. Yes, I am collaborating with him. We were not directly involved in the sequencing, but what we did was to send isolates we caught to a sequencing laboratory, some of them in, um, there is one sequencing laboratory in, uh, in the Western part of the country. Some we sent in a project we did with Italian in collaboration with Italian, uh, Italian government. So uh, they did the sequencing for us because we don't have sequencing facility here. 
One important part of studying COVID-19 is to use assays, which are tests to see if the virus is present in a sample. Some assays are more complex than others. With one type of test, quantitative RT-PCR, one needs to adhere to certain procedures. There's training, there are supplies needed, instruments. That's expensive and takes resources. The result is quite accurate, but not every facility has these instruments, has skilled staff. There are other kinds of tests, rapid tests, that require fewer supplies and less training. Yeah, the lab, the lab assay, um, let me use this word. It depends on the assay, the conventional, the conventional diagnostic uh, test is the, the QRT-PCR. Uh, That's conventional. But you see, it's very sensitive, very sensitive because it detects acute infection and it picks the virus. It picks, once it picks, that is the virus. Now, but there is, there is a small issue there because especially in developing countries before COVID, many laboratories were not equipped to cope with that kind of sophisticated, skill demanding technique. Tremendous. The, the, the human capacity, human resources, and, and um, the skill, the qualification, so many factors. That was that 2020. Many labs in Nigeria was not empowered to handle COVID testing. But now I'm telling you the truth, more than 50 laboratories in Nigeria is well equipped to handle COVID and other related infectious diseases. One of those infectious diseases is Lassa fever. It's viral and endemic in Nigeria and endemic in other countries in West Africa. Just recently, there was another outbreak. Symptoms are not entirely unlike COVID, fever and difficulty breathing, but it can also lead to bleeding and sometimes death. Lassa fever has a problem there because Lassa fever again you cannot handle it in about safety level two facility. But COVID, if you adapt, the, 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 there is a way you can handle uh, Lassa fever. It all depends because Lassa fever and COVID, they are highly, highly infectious. Lassa fever might even be more infectious than COVID. Airborne, it can be inhaled. Lassa can easily spread by air. That's why it's, it's very contagious, highly contagious. It can clear the whole community within a few hours and days. Lassa fever can infect a community, say a village, in hours to days. Wow. With COVID, the infection prevention measures put in place in Nigeria were helpful to stem the spread of the virus that causes COVID. The, the, the spread of the preventive measures was very, very good. This hand sanitizer, hand sanitizer, and the wearing of the mask, and uh, what other one, avoiding. Uh, uh, the major something there is, yes, the major something was the mask and hand sanitizer. With that, COVID being, uh, being an envelope virus is so, so sensitive very sensitive to disinfectant like alcohol and all those components in the hand sanitizer. 
Mary Selinbaba is a committed academic who teaches and does research. But COVID-19 and other infectious diseases mean that she gets involved in diagnostic assays and tests. Um, I am unadulterated academic. And academic means teaching and research. So I combine, I'm so interested in teaching and I'm so interested in the diagnostic and I'm so interested in the research. So I was coordinating that COVID, COVID testing here from 2020 to 2021. But because now by now, the hospital has built a befitting lab for COVID. So I was mandated by a Nigerian CDC to optimize that lab, certify it fits for COVID testing, which I did. You know, people like us, um, we are professionals. And no matter what happens as a professional and a public health office, you have to be conscious of the public health. And I'm not a politician. And I, like I was also mandated to optimize another COVID lab at the state level, state government. I went there, they did not have the basic and they asked me to uh, authorize them to, uh, to start testing. I said, never, I refuse. I refuse, if, even if I was to be killed, I don't mind. I would have caused epidemic if I allowed them to use the uh, wrong facilities, wrong equipment, wrong, um, uh, uh, wrong uh, uh, lab space that was not suitable. No, I wouldn't do that. I refuse till they fit in, but I modified the laboratory to, to fit the test before I could certify them. And I followed up till so now the lab is capable, they are testing, there is no, 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 no casualty. Nobody in the two labs I, I had optimized, nobody, none of the lab staff contracted COVID, none. Mary Celine Baba made sure that her team and any scientists and staff she came into contact with who worked on COVID wore the appropriate personal protective equipment, PPE. It takes discipline and passion. She wants her training and passion to last far beyond this pandemic with COVID-19. I have one weakness, and that weakness is my passion for my work, my passion as a biologist. By the time I deliver biology to you, you would like to even come and start practicing biology. You know, like I told you, I'm teaching. So we are training, I'm training and I'm retraining and I continue building capacity. We have students here, they come here to the lab, we train them, we train them on basic, basic techniques in biology. And they come in even after graduation, they come with under internship and spend one year in the hospital, so they rotate. So training, building capacity on biological techniques is like, it's my food. It's like food I eat on daily basis. And it gives me pleasure because you see, like now I'm over 60. A time will come, I have to leave. Then new ones have to take over. And if they don't practice it well, you know, it will be a failure on my own part. If I don't pass the skill, so it will be a failure in my, I mean, on my own part. What is important to her is to give her trainees experience so that they can work anywhere. They want to work in science and medicine, 
Whether they can find a job will depend on many factors, but they have the training for working on COVID and the virus that causes COVID-19, which is SARS-CoV-2. Anybody that passes through this lab can fit in anywhere in the world. That's one I can guarantee. That is a guarantee. Anyone that can say he passes through this lab successfully, transfer that person to any virus lab, anywhere in the world, they can, they can cope, they can compete with their contemporaries anywhere in the world. And now, right now, there are some students that graduated. They don't have job now. They are coming into the lab voluntarily to learn, to keep themselves abreast. The good thing with virology is that once you get the basic, you just need a small boost for you to step into any other one. Know how to do PCR, RT-PCR. You can work with yellow fever. You can work with dengue. You can work with in the HIV lab. You can work with Ebola. You, if you can handle COVID, because the, the, the requirement for containment for COVID is like Ebola. In Nigeria, if someone sets out to become a researcher, they have to pass through the typical stages of training. That's true anywhere. Mary Celine Baba is a virologist. I have a PhD in virology, medical virology. Work in academia in Nigeria, and this is true elsewhere too, of course, takes commitment and a willingness to earn less than others. Yeah, for us in for us in academic, you have to go through the basic. That means university from high school to university from university. And it depends on your choice. Some people don't want academics because there is no money. No money in academics. Or some people opt to work in research institutes. There are some research institutes. So if you they work in the research institute or they work in a university. So either of these uh, institutions will give you the, the opportunity to practice as a researcher. They pay the money is salary is small. When they some will work in oil company and make better money and are more highly paid. Some will work in central bank and get money. You know those people highly paid job compared to, but we are satisfied as academics. My passion is academic. She is passionate about academia and especially about viruses. Virology is the most interesting aspect of uh, science, in my opinion. I may be wrong, but that's what I think. You know, you know, considering it being the smallest among all the microorganisms, the smallest, but they are more impactful. The biggest among them is a protozoa. The biggest among them is the protozoa. But you hardly hear the havoc that protozoa cause. You hardly hear the havoc bacteria cause. You hardly hear, but the smallest being, the smallest, and this smallest being, you know, another interesting, there's something interesting I want you to capture, that these viruses we are talking about, they are inanimate objects outside the host, non-living thing outside the host. They only become living thing when they enter the suitable host. So how do you see it? And once they enter the host, they knock the host down and use everything the host has for their own benefit. See, see, it takes wisdom to do that. She chose to work in viruses when few others in Nigeria had an interest in virology. And she has a message about why this matters. 
Learning about viruses, studying them, and having a way to differentiate between the different kinds of viral infections, that all fits together. If you are listening and are someone who donates to research, you might find this next part interesting. When I, I, picked, I picked interest in virology, 1982. By then, I did a first degree in microbiology, and virology was a branch. By then, in Nigeria, nobody knew about virology. In Nigeria, nobody was interested in virology. In Nigeria, there were no reagents, no facility, no, nothing for virology, nothing. And people were interested in bacteriology because they could just graduate and just open their own lab and practice and make money. People were interested in microbiology where they can work in industry, maybe work in a... In a uh, 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 what do you call it, a uh, uh, water board where they can analyze water or industrial food industry, you know, all those kind of things and to make money. But I was wondering why are people not interested in biology? And since many people were not interested there, I became interested. So nice. the best virus I worked with was rubella, rubella. And rubella that is known to cause congenital defects in women. So that was my, my first project. So from there, I picked interest. And I, this, my second degree, I worked on polio. Then I became a member, a, a, a team, uh, one of those uh, working on a polio eradication program. So my interest continued to yield. Do you know when I did my PhD, my PhD, I noticed that HIV was dominated and became political. And you know, I don't like politics. And my boss then was so much interested in HIV as if HIV was like a personal project. And I did not want to have problem with my boss. So I opted out. Then I went into literature and I discovered that arboviruses were detected, isolated, confirmed in Nigeria in the 70s. And after 70s, no more work, huh. nothing. Then and I noticed that they said that the initial stage of infection caused by arboviruses are like malaria. They are, you cannot clinically, you can, by symptoms, you can't differentiate. But they all present with fever. Then I told myself, that is possible that many cases that we call malaria are not malaria, but arboviruses. Then I became interested. So I now did my PhD collecting mosquitoes, collecting uh, malaria cases, and then testing to find out whether they were all uh, uh, were arboviruses or not, and confirm the way. Then my interest continued. Now it's confirmed everywhere that malaria and arboviruses, so it's only laboratory. And up till now, as we are discussing, we don't have facilities for routine detection of arboviruses. And that's why you, if you Google my name, you see I am on arboviruses. I am advocating that researchers should not, the grand donors, because please, I want you to use this forum to air my voice, that grand donors are more interested in sponsoring basic molecular research in virology with complete net lake. 
of the diagnostic and the therapeutics. Did you get that? I really like how Dr. Baba hammers in points important to her. Research, in her view, has to have a view of where it ultimately will be applied. When you have malaria, you have fever. Fever is also true for other viral infections like dengue. But dengue is not treated the same way malaria is. And dengue can be deadly if not treated right. I've done many research, many research to show that people that thought they had malaria were actually infected with dengue, yellow fever, West Nile, this day. And those people must have bled with hemorrhagic fever with symptoms, they will go to native doctors and die there because once those symptoms start, it's difficult for them to survive. The grant donors, they are not interested. They're only interested in basic molecular research. And this basic molecular research in most cases are not translated into diagnostics and therapeutics that will have direct impact on the patient. Of course, Dr. Baba says molecular research, basic research, they matter. There should be a balance. What is the top priority? The health of the people. The health, let's face reality. In Nigeria right now, there is no routine diagnosis for viral infection. What is now done routinely is COVID and HIV that was externally funded if it's not possible to do a battery of tests when someone seems to have an infection, healthcare personnel cannot determine what is ailing someone. And that can cause harm and on many levels, on a personal level, and on a countrywide level, even on a global level. No, I will tell you the, the, the possible harm that can cause. Now, in my, from my personal, my personal experience, people went in in Nigeria, the typical Nigerian mentality is that once you have fever, it's malaria. Without a lab test, without even a lab test, it's malaria. And because the, mal- the whole country is infiltrated with diverse malaria drugs, anti-malaria drugs, so they don't even need to seek health facility for, 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 for malaria. They will just go to the patent medicine store in the street and buy as many anti-malaria as they deem fit. That is tantamount to drug abuse. And that alone, again, is contributing to the global burden of antimicrobial resistance. So now, because most of those arboviruses, the, the symptoms, they mimic malaria at the initial stage, but many of them are self-limited. So if somebody is taking anti-malaria for, for virus infection, it has, it has no effect. It has no effect. When they have finished their course, the symptoms will go. So they may be thinking, oh, is it the next, the latest anti-malaria I took that had effect? No. Some, some people, if they take anti-malaria and change to another one, thinking that is resistance, then they would switch to antibiotics, thinking that, oh, it's, it's typhoid, it's, it's bacteria. But you see, all these things contribute to what I call drug resistance. No. Because they took this no, no laboratory test. And it is, it is only laboratory test that can tell you this is viral, this is non-viral. None, but there is none because the facilities the reagents for these viruses are not there. 
I want to use your forum to let the people know that Grant should please also divert a little bit and balance by encouraging and supporting Grant for diagnostics and therapeutics, especially for developing countries. In a country like Nigeria, there are many infectious diseases to battle, not just HIV, not just COVID-19. Mary Selin Baba talks about this multitude of viruses because ultimately, to her, it is about helping people by helping research build in a path to diagnostic tests and treatments. I went for one, I went for one conference in 2019. I was sponsored by us. Oh, um, initially, we used to call it TWAS. Um, what do you call it? Organization of Women in Science in Developing World. Oh, cool. Uh, yes, I was sponsored, so I went there for a conference. And I used, and you know, many organizations were, 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 were supporting malaria, supporting malaria projects, malaria research. And I told them, I said, what guaranteed them that what they, call, they thought was malaria was actually malaria. I have the problem there, and I, I, I'm, I'm, like I told you, my, I'm passion-driven. Passion for the patient. Passion for the patient who die of these viral infections. And I can't help, I, there's nothing I can do. What is needed in a given situation is a physician with a hunch about what might be causing someone's fever. It's about the index of suspicion, the very first or the early impression of what might be ailing a patient. The suspicion index for arboviruses in Nigeria is very low. Low among both physicians. Low is very low because they are the ones to request for investigation, for a lab test. It's the doctors that request. So when the, the, the suspicion index is low among the doctors, then what? how will they request for the test? Many viruses and viral infections are endemic at home in Nigeria. The funding for viral research and its applications, that's hard to come by. Many research have revealed that these viruses are endemic and they have revealed their, their burden. They have revealed their impact. Those ones that are endemic, where where there is none. My sister, do you know that in my research work, those little ones I did, I got sponsorship. If I did not get sponsorship from organization, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have. And then look at now to buy an ELISA kit, ELISA kit, $1,000, $1,500. So how much will, uh, if you are doing in a laboratory revolving, how much would you recover the patient would pay? So you see, it's difficult, yeah. expensive. So but if we have enough grants, that grants are now producing diagnostic and you see the whole market, every place is, flour is flourished with diagnostics, everything will come down. Everything will come down. With grants in place to help determine which viral infections and which viruses are playing a role, things would be calmer. Arboviruses are the group of viruses Mary Selin Baba studies. They are transmitted by mosquitoes. It's arbo because it is transmitted by insects, by mosquitoes in particular. All viruses that are being transmitted by mosquitoes are called arboviruses. So you now see in, in Nigeria here, 
the most, the commonest infectious disease is malaria. And it, malaria is transmitted by what? Mosquito. And all these mosquitoes are there. The mosquito that transmits malaria can also transmit virus. Then you have some, let me see, like Aedes. Aedes aegypti is a species of mosquito. It can transmit four viruses through a bite. It can transmit Zika. It can tra transmit chikungunya that cause atralgia. It can transmit Zika that cause congenital syndrome, like we hear about in Brazil. It can transmit yellow fever, and you know this is yellow fever zone. It can transmit dengue. The four of them can be transmitted by this. And this place is Mosquito Island, so to speak. Nigeria yeah. is Mosquito Island. Nigeria is Mosquito Island, and each bite can transmit viruses, even multiple types of viruses. Ouch, that's tough. What it means is that a way is needed to have differential diagnosis. This is malaria, this is yellow fever, this is dengue. Fever doesn't automatically mean one type of viral infection. One issue with diagnosis, and this is true for COVID-19 as we now all know, a precise result can be expensive. QRT-PCR calls for skills and specialized instruments, but there are simpler tests. They are less precise than QRT-PCR, but they are needed to do differential diagnosis. Differential diagnosis, because you cannot just say uh, any, any febrile, febrile case that is malaria negative is automatically arbovirus. No, because they can be co-infection. Malaria and viruses, they coexist. I have in my research has shown that. So you have to do malaria, I mean, differential diagnosis to establish the real causative agent. RT-PCR is desirable as tests go, but it's expensive and requires skill to run. Another class of tests is called loop-mediated isothermal amplification, or LAMP for short. Instead of doing what RT-PCR does, which is thermocycling, the approach amplifies DNA directly, DNA forms a loop and kind of self-primes and is amplified so you can measure more easily what is in a sample. When COVID-19 spread, many labs started looking at ways to make quick turnaround assays. New England Biolabs had developed a lamp assay in its parasitology division, which is devoted to diseases in developing countries such as river blindness. As COVID-19 emerged, New England Biolabs optimized their lamp test for COVID-19 and donated lamp reagents to the ICGEB. That's the International Center for Genetic Engineering and Biotechnology. That's an organization set up by the United Nations Industrial Development Organization. New England Biolabs, together with ICGEB and financed by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, sent a lab assay to labs in Cameroon, Ethiopia, Kenya, and Nigeria to test and evaluate it. Mary Selin Baba and her team evaluated it in Nigeria. You know, when we were talking about um, uh, COVID diagnostics, when we were talking about, and I told you that the gold standard is the QPCR, QRT-PCR. Now, the Bowler, the New England um, Biologicals, they have produced in the latest and it's molecular base. They called it LAMP, LAMP isothermal uh, kit. It is very good. 
very, very good. We are, in, in fact, I was part of the, the lab that my lab was uh, one of those pioneers that, that evaluated the kids. Do you know the kids is almost like PCR, but it does not require skill. It is skill labor. It does not require skill labor. It does not require complicated analysis like you do for PCR. It does not require uh, what machine, a PCR machine. It's so simple. In Nigeria, Mary Shellen Baba has built capacity for COVID-19 testing. She has helped establish labs with appropriate biosafety features, and she trains people. Many labs in Nigeria were unfit for working with SARS-CoV-2 in 2020. But she and others have made it such that there are more than 50 labs across the country able to handle COVID-19 and other infectious diseases. Her work on arboviruses can now continue, and with a view to diagnosis and treating people with differential diagnosis. So I, it would be a delight for me to, to collaborate with any, anybody that can help me actualize my dream. And my dream is how to develop cost-effective diagnostics for arboviruses so that we can initiate differential diagnosis of these viruses in, you know, in Nigeria, because if the, 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 the diagnostic kits are cost effective, especially if they are locally, if they are made produced with local materials, it will bring down the costs and it will be available. It will be right. available and then it will be easy. That was Conversations with Scientists. Today's guest was Dr. Mary Selin Baba of the University of Medugri in Medugri, Nigeria. And I just wanted to say, because there's confusion about these things sometimes, the University of Medjugorje did not pay to be in this podcast. This is independent journalism that I produce in my living room. I'm Vivian Marks. Thanks for listening. 